convened 7 o'clock. I call to order the January 24th Franklin School Committee meeting. Meetings are recorded by Franklin TV and shown on Comcast Channel 11 and Verizon Channel 29, as well as recorded by Franklin Matters. Any individual who also wishes to record this meeting must notify the chair in accordance with Massachusetts General Law, Chapter 38, Section 20F. At the conclusion of our meeting, we will be adjourning to executive session and will not be returning to open meeting. Um, just before we begin at our previous meeting, a question was raised regarding packet materials. Um, to find meeting agendas and packets, please visit franklinps.net backslash district backslash school dash committee and you can find all of the materials there. Um, I think it's important to note that all meetings of the Franklin School Committee or any committee or board are business meetings that take place in public. We do not review word for word any policies or documents up for discussion in a public meeting as they're reviewed by each member beforehand and reading through each document word for word would just take a very long time and is not an efficient way to run a meeting. Um, I'm hoping this helps and I just wanted to kind of share this with the public so we can be transparent about how our materials are shared. Uh, Alright, so before we keep going, we have a member remote, so I'd like to take attendance. Uh, Camille Bernstein? Here. Dave Callahan? Here. Al Charles? Here. Dave McNeil? Here. Elise Stokes? Here. Megan Whitmore? Here. Denise Spencer? Here. Alright, moving right along. We have this one change. All right, pledge student. All right, we have two students here this evening. If you guys wanted to come up to the microphone. All right, so tonight we welcome brothers Luke and John Roach from Jefferson Elementary to lead us in saying the Pledge of Allegiance. Luke is in third grade at Jefferson Elementary. His teachers describe him as an extremely hardworking student. Even if something is challenging, he perseveres and always does his best. He always does his job in the classroom and is an excellent listener. He also is extremely respectful and kind to all of his teachers and his classmates. He often will help his classmates and explain something that they do not understand. He also makes everyone feel included. He is a team player and displays all of the Jefferson core values consistently. Luke's favorite, sub Luke's favorite subject is science. Outside of school, he enjoys playing the drums. All right, so Luke's big brother, John, is a fifth grade student at Jefferson. He is a hardworking student who comes in with a smile every single day. He is well-mannered and inclusive. He is always kind and respectful to others. John makes it a point to eat, I, excuse me. John makes it a point at each morning to greet the adults at the door and even stops to ask them about their mornings and to wish them a good day. His favorite subject is social studies because he loves learning about history. John has three pets and loves animals. He also enjoys all kinds of outdoor activities. He plays basketball and football and is a big New York Giants fan. Jefferson is proud to have Luke and John representing Jefferson Elementary School tonight. So if we could have you guys meet everyone in the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. 
thank you guys so much. You guys can head out. Review of agenda. Um, I'd like to put forth a motion to move discussion action item D, accept collaborative before discussion action item A, policies. We have a guest with us this evening, and I'd like to be cognizant of her time and have her go first. Um, is there a motion? So moved. Is there a second? Second. All right, roll call vote. Camille Bernstein? Yes. Dave Callahan? Yes. Al Charles? Yes. Dave McNeil? Yes. Elise Stokes? Yes. Megan Whitmore? Yes. Me, Spencer, yes. All right, so we will flip-flop those. Okay, payment of bills, Mr. McNeil. Bills are in order. Okay, payroll is all set. Up next, we have our student representatives. Good evening, guys. Good evening. All right, my name is Shaw Downing. I'm the vice president of the class of 2023. We're going to talk a little bit about sports. The boys' basketball team is playing in Mansfield today. The girls basketball team is currently hosting the coaches versus cancer game against Mansfield at the high school. Um, the swim team is competing in KP today. Um, congratulations to the FHS shot put team for winning the Division I MIAA state championship. The Hockamock League has designated this week as a mental health week. For the whole school news, peer tutoring for math has opened thanks to NHS, math NHS. The next SAT is being administered at the high school on March 11th. I'm Robert Jodery, senior class president. Um, to the off of Shaw and what you said about the whole school, we also have Panther Pride Night coming up on February 2nd for uh, eighth graders and the prospective freshmen. Just to give them an idea of what the school is like, we'll have different displays with team captains and club leaders where parents and students can ask them questions, just find out more about extracurricular life, and we will also have peer leaders giving tours throughout the night. As for class of 2023 specific news, we have yearbook forms that have been sent out for students to fill out. Um, graduation caps and gowns need to be ordered by February 2nd. Uh, we have opened up our t-shirt design contest for our senior t-shirts on our last t-shirt fundraiser of high school, so if there are any students with ideas or designs, please submit them. And finally, we are in the process of finalizing a trip to Fenway Park to see a Red Sox game as part of our senior week festivities. And that is it for this week. Thank you. Thank you. Um, anything from the committee? Yeah, Al? One question. <clears throat> yeah. Um, not about what you said, but now it's the new year. Um, I'm looking forward to see if there's a science night this year. So if there's an update on that in future updates, it would be great. Yeah, so actually I'm in science NHS, so I believe it's going to be in the spring again. Um, I can get back to you on the exact date, but we have been planning it. Um, we've been getting all the stations together, so that will be happening. Um, I'll get back to you with the specific date. Awesome, yeah. No, you guys all do a great job, and, and Thank you. the kids love it, and it's a great time just to, to see the work that's put in throughout the year, so for sure. forward to it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Mr. Chikir, Superintendent's report. Great. Good evening, everyone. Um, just to just reiterate what Robin said, it's nice to see uh, our students so involved in planning that night as well. And uh, I remember taking my kids there um, before 
uh, when they were younger, and it was nice to have uh, student leaders at the high school uh, at each station, kind of facilitating and helping um, engage our students that are younger, um, and build some excitement about what the high school has to offer, and uh, clearly you all represent, um, we just, we're really proud of you, and we're proud to have you engage with our youngest learners when they show up, because it gives us, um, gives them inspiration to what, what this lies ahead, so thank you. Thank you. <laughs> okay. So for my superintendent report tonight, um, as you may recall, um, I shared an inclement weather and closing letter on December 1st, but I thought it would be a good time just with weather, um, just to talk through a couple of the key points um, that you can also find on the website um, around inclement weather and closings. Um, you know, one of the responsibilities of a superintendent and one of the challenges is to decide whether or not to cancel school, delay school, um, you know, uh, release early, um, due to inclement weather and like weather forecasting um, the school closing decision process is not a perfect science but as this is New England we're apt to have a number of days in which weather is inclement and it's important just to understand how the process works so I thought I would just take a moment while um, I had a captive audience to just talk through um, you know the superintendent I'm ultimately the decision maker on whether or not we close school or have a delay or any of the uh, any of the uh, possible outcomes um, I do that in consultation with our Franklin Department of Public Works. I work with our highway department, the director of facilities, and our public safety officials. And uh, what we do is we monitor uh, the state and local weather forecasts. And we also have a precision weather forecast, which is a service that provides uh, Franklin-specific weather. Um, they have some meteorologists that really focus in on your area um, as a result. So uh, we really try to look at that information. Um, we also obviously um, are in constant contact, as I said, with DPW and the highway department around the roads and the conditions and the ability to clean up snow. Um, and that can be really community dependent, um, depending on how many folks you have out there, what your resources are. So sometimes I remember um, as a teacher or as a student wondering, how come this town does this and this? There are a lot of factors that go into variables. So factors and considerations. Uh, one thing all towns share is a responsibility to safety, making sure that we are creating the safest environment possible, while also trying to balance the um, being sensitive to families' childcare needs and um, really trying to look at what makes the most sense with regard to the roads and their conditions. Um, we look at road conditions. We, as I said, we consult with others within the town. Um, we look at uh, the timing of snow when it starts to accumulate. We also look at how much the amount that's expected, and also the weather predictions as to what's expect after what's expected after the snow. So, um, and also building condition, whether we have power and heat, those types of things. So, um, the timing of it. Um, typically, uh, we try to make the decision when we have um, the most amount of information we believe we will have. Um, I want to let people know that sometimes the most accurate information is the morning of um, what's, what's anticipated to be snow. So I just want to set expectations for families. Um, if a decision is to wait until the morning where we have more accurate weather forecasting, it's not to create um, any kind of frustration or why, why are we waiting or just to hold out for the sake of holding out. But those are big decisions and if we're going to um, do that, I want to make sure that I have um, the information I need. Sometimes you have that information, you feel confident about that the night before, but it's not always the case. So I just would um, like to put that out to families around the timing um, regarding that. 
The second piece is notifications. We have our regroup notification system. It sends out a message um, that can be a text and an email, which is typically how we send out this information so that it goes to cell phones, not just email. And we also notify our local news stations as well with regard to what would happen. So, you know, weather prediction is certainly an uncertain science. We live in New England, and one thing we can guarantee is we will have weather. And um, you have a commitment from me that we will continue to work together with the, the town, the DPW, and our local uh, public safety officials to make the best decision with the information we have and to try to um, just make sure that we're creating the safe, a safe environment, a safe uh, way for us to, to navigate the, the winter. So I just wanted to share that. And certainly, if you want more information, if you go to the Franklin Public Schools website, under um, About Us, if there's an inclement weather that gives much more detail, a kind of a different different pieces of this, but that's just the, the big uh, highlight and overview I wanted to share. Um, moving on, COVID-19 test kits are available to Franklin residents. The Franklin Health Department um, has received uh, home test kits and they are available to residents. Um, you can contact the public health nurse and uh, this has been pushed out um, through the town. Um, it's 508-613-1341 and um, they will coordinate at the senior center for pickup and they have specific days, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, 8 to 8 a.m. to 4 p.m., Wednesdays is 8 to 6, and Fridays is 8 to 1. Um, this information is posted, you can find it online as well. It's limited uh, in supply, so um, it's really first come, first serve until the tests run out, but we wanted to put that out to families who are also residents to make sure they're aware. Um, it's a longer uh, announcement today, but I wanna make sure we cover a few things. So uh, redistricting analysis, the committee uh, continues to meet, um, or an advisory committee continues to meet, reviewing information, um, reviewing scenarios, and as part of the process, it will include further community input. Um, there will be some forums set up in March, and um, there's no decisions have been made at this point. Um, our redistricting analysis Advisory committee has been um, sharing and providing questions, and we are working with FGO to analyze some of the information, all the information, so that we can continue to move through that process. Uh, I want to thank the people who are serving on that committee for their input, and also folks who've reached out um, and emailed through the redistricting advisory email. We are um, taking some of those questions in bulk, and uh, people can expect a response and a reply. We're just being thoughtful around gathering the questions and not trying to do them one-off, but try to do a batch at a time. So I um, just wanted to put that out to the uh, greater community. And also, if people are looking for more information about what has happened so far and some of those details, you can go online. And we have a redistricting analysis webpage dedicated to the progress so far, along, as, long, as well as other information around the guiding principles and whatnot. Uh, this will also appear in the district newsletter that will go out to families shortly uh, with more information. Next, composting. You may have seen on NBC10, the Boston program, they highlighted the composting pilot that took place at Keller and Annie Sullivan. Um, that will be in the newsletter for folks to see and review. I thought I would just highlight it again. Um, it's a great collaboration between um, our DPW and the schools, and uh, we look to roll that out further across other schools in, in the district as well. Um, you heard about Panther Pride Night already. Just to reiterate, February 2nd, 6 to 7.30. It's a great opportunity for eighth graders and their families to come and learn more about Franklin High School. And finally, um, the Hockamock League uh, is, has dedicated this as Mental Health Week, and it's to support, it's to support the 
emotional well-being of student athletes. So as a league, we're fortunate to be in a really, really strong league that cares about kids. And uh, the sporting events across the league are designated as mental health awareness games. And the league has posted a statement saying that the Hockenmock League values all aspects of the student athlete experience as they navigate high school sports and they want them to do so in a healthy way. So there's a commitment from each of the athletic directors to push this message out at all of our contests throughout the week. I know uh, Principal Hannah also um, has information on that as well, but we just thought we'd share that with the community as well. Whether you have an athlete or not, uh, mental health is something that um, we certainly want to support um, our students in having a healthy, being on the healthy side of that. So that concludes my report. I'll go down the line. Camille? Dave? Thank you. Um, well, actually, I wanted to, um, uh, to thank you and, and the staff for um, all the, the hard work and like the late nights that kind of went into the uh, capital improvement requests over the past couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, because now, you know, it's this, you know, we all know, you know we're certainly going to uh, the next couple of weeks and months, you know, it's budget season uh, now. And, uh, <laughs> Mira, face lit up either out of excitement or. <laughs> Um, and so I want to also thank everybody in advance. Uh, I know you know how tireless that is, um, and uh, you know when we kind of you know talk about the budget, uh, you know as well. I know that um, you know one of the questions actually we kind of came up during the last uh, meeting during the special education uh, presentation, kind of talked about there's this this question of well you know at Franklin budget as a whole when the enrollment's going down, you know how come the budget's not following. And you know, at the last meeting, we kind of talked about well, one of the, the pieces to that puzzle, just one, but was even though enrollment itself is trending downward, special education itself is increasing, and and that's adding to the budget. And so I think you know, for the kind of really the community at large, anytime we kind of hear that question, you know, there's a lot of great answers uh, to that question. You know, so the, the rise of special education is one of them. You know, another one. You know, ten years ago national teacher shortage wasn't a thing you know and uh, we talked about past meetings there's uh, you know a, a ton of resources that are going into ensuring that we have as many uh, teachers and as many classrooms as possible and and that comes with a price tag um, you know we have we talked you know numerously about unfunded mandates and you know in, in 10 years ago unfunded mandates they were still there uh, but they've only just continued uh, to to be passed, and with that bill being passed down to us, so, you know, we we also talked about one that's brand new one that's coming in the fall um, that this community is is again going to have to pick up the tab for. I know that the state auditor's office recently kind of uh, released a, a presser that talked about that there's like 1.2 billion dollars in unfunded mandates across the Commonwealth, and. That's the, the uh, a price tag that you know wasn't there ten years ago. There was there was a number, but it's only just ballooned over the past ten years. You know, and in, in, in ten years ago, when enrollment numbers were were so high, uh, you know, the only time that we talked about like a global pandemic in schools was in a history class. You know, there are so many reasons as to to explain where the budget is. You know, and so when somebody kind of genuinely has that question, because like I get it. You know, ten years ago. Uh, if I can buy a dozen eggs at this price, I would expect a half dozen to be a lot less, but that's just not the reality. And, and so I think it kind of behooves all of us and in the community at large, anytime you kind of hear that question of, well, if enrollment's going down, why isn't the budget 
following throw out any one of these answers because there's a whole slew of them. Um, because you know the, the budget season it starts now, uh, and uh, you know Franklin has a lot of decisions to make in the future, and I think that we can all kind of work together to to answer those questions and to kind of come up with the most best informed choices. So again, I just wanted to thank you all for the work that you put into it and for the tireless work that you'll be putting in over the coming months. So thank you thank very you. much. Yeah. Yep, thank you. Um, so one, thank you for the update around the process around inclement weather and just really what needs to be done. Um, I know it's not an easy decision and it's one that um, you ask with 100 people, you're going to get you know 100 different responses and, you, and not everybody's going to agree with you. Um, but thank you for doing so. Um, one thing I did see online at least, there was a high school student that had a spin-up during that. So, I mean, imagine how much worse it could have been had it been further in this, the, the weather. And, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things that you err, err on the side of caution and um, rather not have these issues and, you know, leave out early versus having something in an hour as a community warning of something that could have been avoided. So, so thank you for at least doing that and sharing with the community as to why the thought process around that. Um, well, you did mention the Annie Sullivan and Keller composting pilot. Um, it's great to see the community, our students engage in things that can help the community, help the world, um, learn at the same time and have fun. Um, you mentioned though that it's going to be in the next newsletter. Are we also doing the uh, linking to the, the news segment as well, or is it just yes? The there'll be a link to the to the news segment in the newsletter. Okay, yeah, because I think that's a, a great opportunity as well, just to just highlight that the kids had the opportunity to actually be interviewed by newscasters and, and and actually speak about what they've learned and really share their knowledge, and it just shows the great things that are happening in the the, the school and and what our teachers are doing and what really we're preparing them for what may come down the road and just giving them all these opportunities. So, um, so thank you for what um, the schools are doing and what, and what you're supporting as well. Thank you. Dave? Uh, no questions, but yeah, thank you for this update. I um, really appreciate that clarification when it comes to uh, decisions uh, for the schools to implement weather. It's very helpful to have that information to provide clarity because it's not a, an easy decision by any means. And so I appreciate um, kind of looking under the hood and what goes into that. And. Um, um, but again, I think it's wonderful that we're having the, the Panther Pride Night. It seems like it's going to be an um, excellent um, opportunity for all the families who have the opportunity to attend and have some great information to um, get a better understanding of uh, Franklin High School culture. So thank you very much. Please, no question. Megan? Uh, just to comment, just yeah, thank you for the update and um, you know the information about, about the weather and the redistricting um, analysis that's ongoing. Thank you. Thank you. Um, all right, moving along, guest presentations. We have Mr. Hannah here to present on the FHS program of studies. Just as Josh sets up, this is part of our annual um, update. Um, typically, we share some of the uh, new additions to the program of studies as this is like a annual thing. So, Josh has prepared a presentation, and also we'll talk through some of the some of the exciting changes and new things that are uh, going to be happening at Franklin High School. All right. Good evening, everyone. Uh, we're waiting for the uh, presentation to kind of load. Um, earlier last week, the school committee was shared our uh, updated program of studies for uh, the 2023-2024 school year, um, and. It's a rather large document with lots of course descriptions and credit 
explanations, and rather than try to go through that uh, document together, we summarize it in a slideshow that I think kind of highlights some of the adjustments. It gives an opportunity for you to ask questions at the end. Uh, so. Let's see. Uh, so as we start our presentation and as we start all of our meetings at Franklin High School, we kind of recommit to our core beliefs uh, that you can see on, on the board. And I heard um, the elementary school uh, Pledge of Allegiance students talk about their core beliefs and how they you know, live up to them. And I think we try to highlight, because there are a lot in here if you look at like what we believe in and what we're trying to be about. And I feel like the program of studies really hits on thoughtful and respectful and actions and words. So when we say things like, are we actually holding people to those standards? Do our words match what it is we believe in in terms of our values and our portrait of a graduate? And I think our, our staff works really hard to match our program of studies to what we believe in and making sure that we're asking students to interact with topics and subjects that are in line with our core values. Um, this, this program was a joint effort uh, work with our teachers, our department chairs, our administration, um, and many of which would love to be here tonight to share in this presentation, but we are uh, we're at all sorts of different events covering and watching our students succeed. And so I'm here representing a much larger group of people who take pride in making sure that what we're offering to the Franklin High School community is not only in line with what Desi asks and what, the, what we believe as content experts, but also what we've said we are as a school. So just reminding ourselves what we're working on and, and who we are as a school. We have our academic expectations. We want competent and self-aware learners. We want people that are excited about their future and are grounded in an experience that's wide, right? Not just what you're good at, but also maybe find areas that, huh, this isn't that easy for me. It gives you an appreciation for things and helps you grow as we all have areas to grow, right? Myself included. Uh, still here, entering into my late 40s, realizing now more than ever how many areas I have to grow in. And so that's what our program is all about. Uh, in terms of our process, so our department chairs review our current uh, courses outlined in program studies, and we start this process in September and October, talking about what is it are we offering, is it in line with what we believe in, is it in line with what students need, and what adjustments should we be making. We then cross-reference that to what Desi's asking us to do, what it is that we're saying our graduates are able to do. Are we putting a diversity, equity, and inclusion lens onto our offerings? Are these socially and emotionally supportive classes? And are we aligning our practices with being uh, responsive to where our students are? And making sure that that's what we believe in. And does our offerings align with that? Uh, we spend majority of meetings throughout the fall taking consideration of course offerings, wondering do they align up with well, what is we're currently offering at as a school? Is this fiscally responsible? Is this going to be popular with students? We're surveying students on what things are they looking for? We're looking around at different uh, schools. What are they offering? How can we align with and be competitive within our marketplace so that our graduates will have as good of a chance as any in the areas getting into wherever their next chapter is going to be? Um, adjustments were proposed, reviewed, and we're sharing uh, the majority of the uh, highlights with you this evening. Uh, once we kind of conclude tonight's meeting, uh, questions and any adjustments that need to be made are made, uh, we begin our scheduling selection process. Currently our high school students are working with their teachers regarding what courses they're gonna take next year. And part of Panther Pride Night that people have talked about on February 2nd, we'll be bringing in eighth grade families to talk about what course selections do they have for the upcoming season. So 
we're already well into the process of establishing schedules for the fall of 2023. And the new courses that are being highlighted tonight are just another part of that. Um, so it's really an exciting time and, and it's a reminder to us all that like we're constantly forward thinking. When we, we, we try to keep one foot in where we are and keep kind of our eyes out on, on what's happening in the future so we, we don't find ourselves non, uh, ill prepared. So really like the highlighted adjustment I'd like to talk about is our increased um, expectations of students to graduate from Franklin High School. Uh, part of the portrait of a graduate uh, asking for a well-rounded individual who's been shared with a, a wide variety of experiences. When we examined our graduation requirements that didn't ask students to complete two consecutive years of a world language or have a, a music or art course within their experience, we felt as though that really didn't align with what we're saying as a portrait of a graduate. We also felt a little uncomfortable with the, the fact that we would have our standards for graduation, and then a few paragraphs below, we would have a separate identification of standards for if you wanted to continue your career in the Massachusetts State Universities and College System. Because not everyone takes the time to read through the program of studies, and we shouldn't really be uh, setting students up to graduate and then not have an opportunity to further their education. Because maybe they don't as freshmen or sophomores, but by the time they graduate, they're like, you know what, I would like to do that actually. And so we felt, um, obligated to increase our expectations and cross-reference it with what are our students doing generally now anyways and for the most part the majority of our students are meeting these standards but we just hadn't codified it within our program of studies and so in practice a student could graduate without having been exposed to a world language or an art or music class and that just didn't sit quite well with us and so as we're continuing to find ways to really kind of like create a well-rounded student, which in my opinion, uh, would involve taking a class in either art or music. And I'll be the first to admit, raising my hand, my fine motor skills have a lot of room to grow. And as an artist, that was not an area where I thrived. But you know what, I remember struggling in the art class, and I remember earning a respect for those that could perform that really well, and it humbled me and allowed for me to grow as an individual, realizing I didn't quite know it all. And that's not the worst thing in the world for a high school student to experience. Right? So, not to mention the fact there's plenty of data to support the idea that uh, studying the arts helps um, grow the, the intellect and the mind at, at a rate far greater than, than you know, most other areas. So, that's where we're focusing our attention on in terms of large-scale adjustments. Um, and you can see the why underneath. Uh, we're excited to bring this forward. We're excited that we're in a space to ask more of our graduates. We're gonna continue down this path. Now, just to make sure people don't panic, as we're watching this, if you're a senior in high school right now, this is only for the uh, entry level uh, students. So the freshman class of 2027 will have this expectation. We're not going to remove a diploma from someone's uh, hand uh, here with three or four months to go because they haven't signed up for a music or, or an art class. But it was also really well received by our directors, both world language, uh, music, and art, because they felt as though there was like a a systemic acknowledgement of the importance of those uh, topics, which, like I said, generally, and again, it puts us in a competitive spot with, with local high schools who have similar expectations. Okay, new offerings. Um, each department had the opportunity to bring forward new offerings. A lot of these are based on teacher interest. So we really try to drive this from a place, okay, who do we have on staff? What's their content expertise? Where is it that they're missing their passion? 
you know, we had, we're having uh, evaluation meetings uh, right now at the school, and one of the questions we're asking folks is like, what is it that you're interested in that you don't have a chance to do right now? We want to hit on those areas so that pe people feel invested and connected and want to continue to stay. So in the math department, we had a uh, ask of an AP pre-calc class. It's the first time the College Board is bringing on an advanced placement uh, class in pre-calc. Uh, and the reason for it being attractive is that as a student starting in Algebra 1, as a freshman, currently without doubling up in math, they would not have access to an AP course uh, by the end of their kind of trajectory. This is an opportunity to take a college level course, earn college level credit in a class that would be kind of balanced as they enter in at, at an appropriate level as Algebra 1 as a freshman student and still be able to take that college level class, gain that confidence through a test uh, that they perform well on and depending upon their major uh, at university or college level, they would not maybe have to take that class. If you were a non-STEM major, for example, and you passed your AP pre-calc test, that gives you an opportunity to kind of begin uh, one foot ahead. And I think it's another example of the AP program trying to connect with not just the uh, top echelon student. For a long time, the AP program had kind of been like this sacred ground for only the kids who are in A pluses and so on. And they've come to realize lots more kids go to college and university than those that just earn A pluses. And we need to make that available and show them you're capable of this. And I think that the AP pre-calc class kind of hits on that. So uh, an example of a new offerings within our math department. Within our science department, and this is really like project-based learning, bringing on a botany and horticulture, taking advantage of the resources we have in the school and making sure that there's applicable connection between the world we live in and uh, what the science frameworks asks of us in giving students a chance to sign up for an elective class that's gonna be hands-on, talking about, you know, we talked earlier about the um, program that was going on at one of our elementary schools, the compost, and how, how are we taking advantage of our natural resources? And in this course description, they talk quite a bit about uh, using the green uh, house and, and using the courtyard, and what can we do within our own campus to kind of help understand how nature grows. Additionally, in the science class, we are offering a physics AP2, which is uh, the, the second physics uh, AP class that is not physics APC. It's a wider uh, array of the study of physics and one that will be less math oriented and more uh, along the lines of a wider array of uh, experimental uh, sciences. So again, we have, and we're trying to get to this place where it's general education, but we also allow people to dive deep. And I think, you know, a, a well-crafted high school program of studies will give individuals that, that experience, that kind of broad spot at the beginning, and by the end of their career, really kind of focus in on things that they're already deciding, this wants to, this is my focus. Not everyone's there, but many people are. And I think we're trying to strike that balance of uh, interest and, and, and background and expertise. Along the same lines with uh, science, we have uh, a programming with Arduino, uh, which is, uh, as we know, uh, the idea of um, coding is a big part of, of many of our industries. And I, I saw in the description talking about uh, chips, and I don't know how many of you have tried to buy a car recently, uh, but the microprocessor and the chips that have been uh, mostly created overseas, uh, there was a dramatic delay and we need to find more people that are able to make these, understand them, design them, create them, and so we're not uh, having to wait for as long as uh, we had to uh, regarding uh, these technologies. So bringing courses like this forward, web-based, 
uh, programming design and coding. I think it's just another example of us kind of listening and watching the marketplace and making adjustments to our programming studies to allow for students to have that uh, experience. Uh, within the art department, we made a couple of adjustments with our television and uh, media production courses to include a third level. So we have students that are kind of topping out early on in their career regarding uh, TV production and they want more. They want to get deeper into editing and uh, design and production. We have a Franklin TV that creates a weekly uh, show that is shown at advisory on Fridays. We have some students that want to dive and do kind of like, I'll use the phrase like 30 for 30 for those of you who follow ESPN and do like longer term documentaries on deeper things. And we have the students who have the passion and the skill and they just need the time and they need to be able to take the class again and receive new credit. So we're meeting students where they are, we're offering uh, new classes within our TV production. It's the same with film production. Film production actually only running as a semester course, we'd have students that would take the footage, but by the end of the 20 weeks, they wouldn't be able to edit it all down. And so what we ended up having to happen was our teacher was spending time editing it to get a full product and sometimes some volunteer work on the side. That doesn't seem to be respectful of the work that went in to the film production. And so for those students who want to present and maybe there's a Hockamock League Film Fest and like maybe present one of these to, to win in any of the categories, kind of like the Oscars, well, we need to give them time to do that. And that's one of the biggest things we're talking about with our course development and, and our programming studies. Do we have a reasonable amount of time to get this stuff done? We don't want to be putting uh, additional anxiety and stress on students or staff to say, we're going to do all this in 20 weeks when we know deep down it can't get done. And so we're, we're committing ourselves to being paced in, in a professional manner so that everyone feels respected and we can get a high quality. And that's what these additions, the, the film production two and the TV studio three are all about. And finally, and I think this is really cool for explorations in art, to kind of synchronize with our new ask of, of taking an art or music class, we're offering a uh, abbreviated credit explorations in arts for freshmen, uh, in particular it's geared towards them during directed study. So they have health during one block, then they have three directed studies. We're offering and saying, hey, if you want to fill in some explorations in arts, we're going to offer those during that same time period so that you can kind of get a taste of what other art classes might you want to take down the road. So it's kind of like a low level, entry into uh, the, the art department without as much of a commitment, which I think will, uh, will benefit us uh, as we roll into the future. Our credit to Adam Gooder, our uh, new art director, K through 12, who uh, kind of had this vision and, and connected with uh, other organizations and schools in the area to, to say, hey, how can we draw more folks into our art department? And they recommended like, these kind of touch points early on that uh, isn't too overwhelming. You, know, you sign up for five out of seven classes and then you decide you don't like it in the second or third week. Now you still have you know, 17 more weeks in that environment. This is more of like you get to kind of uh, explore and, and taste um, a smorgasbord, so to speak, and see, okay, what is I want to dive in deeper maybe next semester or next year? Uh, with music, similarly, we had adjustments to a couple of courses, uh, both street drumming and rock band. Uh, for street drumming, those of you who spend any time maybe going down to the uh, Boston area, you'll see some of the bucket drumming that goes on. And I mean, I think the rhythm in those uh, moments is, is fantastic. And it's fun. And there's nothing wrong with moving a little bit away from some of the classical instruction that occurs within our music department. But not everyone is geared towards that. And we want to make music available and accessible to everyone. So 
for my money, I think street drumming is fantastic. I'm excited that the department was willing to bring it online. And I would love to have some street drumming uh, in the main corridor as we walk in. I think that would be pretty cool. Uh, rock band is the same deal. Not everyone plays music uh, starting in a classical way. Are, are there musicians out there that are hiding? We want to bring them in. We want to get them signed up for class. And we want to work with them where they are. Uh, along with these lines, we're bringing the student governance, bringing up a, uh, I'm sorry, a talent show uh, later on uh, this spring. Uh, we're going to have it on a Thursday night, and we're looking to find some of those secret musicians who we know are out there. We want to bring them up on stage and celebrate uh, their, their ability and success. And finally, in health, uh, we had one of our teachers talk. He, he's a coach in another district and has coached a lot of team sports for us. Uh, and really wanted to dive into the idea of sports psychology, particularly around performance. And it really aligns with the Hockamock League's commitment to uh, mental health and athletics, uh, with dealing with anxiety, dealing with performance, stress, and really kind of framing uh, how, how do we deal with what we know is a charged, exciting, healthy, but emotional environment. Uh, and what can we do to help prepare ourselves for moments that don't go our way, uh, and, and, you know, we are known as a school that has a tremendous success in athletics. That's, there's no secret about that. With a large percentage of our students participating in it, I think it's great that one of our teachers saw that, saw it as an opportunity to help frame the highs and lows of competition. And with his background in, in coaching, it's, again, an example of we're asking teachers, where is your passion? Where is your expertise? How can you bring that out? How can we connect students with people who, it's, it's more than just a job. This is like their life. And this is an example of a course that's aligned with that. Uh, finally, um, our work, this, this idea of what, what do these courses look like? A guaranteed and viable curriculum. We're continuing to look at it, and I shared examples that you have access to, uh, as will the public as they see this presentation. Each unit of study, on average about eight to 10 per class, we're diving deep on what it is we do. We're aligning our practices. We're making sure that experiences are guaranteed and viable, and it leads us to looking at this uh, Venn diagram, always considering what are we offering, that's our curriculum, that's our program of studies, how are we instructing it, what methods are we using, how are we assessing it, what are, how do we know when students know what it is that we're expecting them to know, and making sure that uh, we're using assessments that are aligned and across the board. And that's hard work, and we're getting closer and closer to that every single day. So I know you support our school improvement goals, and I wanted to share a little bit about how are those connected to this. Is the program of studies is the curriculum. We're designing it unit by unit so that when we invite new friends onto campus as teachers and educators, they're aware of this is what we do. There was a lot of talking. I hope I kept it uh, within a reasonable amount of time and certainly here and happy to answer any questions or receive any comments that you have. Thank you, Mr. Han. I'll go down the line. Camille? Um, I just wanted to say, um, such exciting additions. I love that you said that it's based on not only DESE, but also what you believe as content experts in the profile of a graduate. And um, research shows that um, students are taught by passionate teachers who love their subjects. So um, I love that it's um, based on, many are based on teacher interest. And also student requests. Um, it shows a uh, flexibility and also a, a responsiveness to what our students need and want and teachers are excited about. So thank you so much. Dave? Just to, to echo what my colleague said, I, I love that uh, so many of these come from teacher interest because 
right away you know, you know, if, if the teacher's excited about the subject, just you know, like how great that that class is going to be. So I just I love the the philosophy behind so many of these additions and just the thoughtfulness uh, along the way. So this is uh, this is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it can, probably ditto. <laughs> Definitely well said. Um, amazing programs that are provided to the students and, and just with a lot of growth and a lot of variety. So you're not just focusing on one child and it just shows us the diversity of thought and ability and I think this will also bring children or students from all different backgrounds and different likes into these different groups and then they may be engaged with people that they may not have done before. Um, definitely interested about this free drumming. When I saw that I was like, okay, that's interesting, but you know, I think it's something different for everybody, right? A um, couple things that I, I, I that thought of inside that you didn't say. Um, just thinking from a building space use perspective, um, it just shows the growth in what, how we use space today versus how the building was intended to. I mean, the, the horticulture and botany class, I don't think, you know, when we built the high school, this was the, the design right off day one. And it just shows you, well, we may say, okay, this, this building is supporting, you know, 1,800 students, this one classroom that could have been 20 kids is now a, you know, a, a horticulture, it's a greenhouse, and now it's only six kids. So the way we use buildings now compared to what we do down the road will change, and we have to be mindful of that, and we may use it differently. So um, just call that out. Um, and then the other one was around the TV production and film production courses. Last meeting, we had to remove the replacing of the um, studio from our budget allocation. Um, how does that impact the, these two programs going forward? Um, I mean, it, you know, it, it, it impacts them obviously, right? Because not everything is going to be working necessarily as fine-tuned as the original design maybe would have had. But it's still functional. And I think, you know, in talks with uh, Superintendent Jagir, we have you know, potential solutions that we're going to be continuing to examine and um, I mean teachers are resourceful right so stuff doesn't work we find workarounds uh, it's not always ideal but we're not going to not be able to, to offer the course I don't know Superintendent gear if you want to add yep we we originally requested that because we know that we are trying to provide a program that we can sustain and we can support for our kids um, when it's in the program of studies and it's part of the coursework it's not certainly not a luxury. It's a it's a part of how we educate kids in the 21st century. And you know, uh, Josh, you brought up the 30 for 30. Um, I think about students who you mentioned your um, dexterity with art. Art has taken so many different mediums and forms as we continue to, to grow. If you think back to what art might have been when we were in school versus now, um, this is an example of trying to provide access to it. So, do we have a studio that's functioning? Yes. Um, will there be a time where we need to uh, update that? Uh, we try to be responsible and proactive and originally asking for that, but recognizing that that will be something that we're going to be continuing to advocate for and try to work towards sustaining because there's great programming and kids are putting together some really, really, there's some great learning happening and great products coming out of those studios and we have phenomenal teachers in those courses that um, we really want to support. So that would just wanted to echo what you said but yeah and, and I do applaud the the work and that the educators are doing to make do with what we have um, and, and take a not ideal situation and, and make the best out of it so 
Uh, thank you for that continued effort, but I want our community to know that, you know, when we do put up these things for budget requests, it's not because we aren't going to use it, it's just because the money's out there. I think it's because it's going to benefit our students at the end of the day, and we want to give them the best material, content, resources to do the learning versus learning on maybe something that might be 10 years old, and then when they get to the field, they're like, well, why'd you learn on this? Because we don't touch that anymore, and it's an old device. Um, it impacts them and it, and it puts them behind others as well. So just, just putting that out there. Uh, but once again, thank you for all this work. Uh, I'm looking forward to when my children are in high school to take these programs as well because these are phenomenal and I did not have these when I was in, in, in the high school um, my, my lifetime. So uh, thank you. Well, enjoy where you are, wherever you are in life. So I mean, the high school is great, but I'm sure wherever your kids are is pretty cool too. So. <laughs> Uh, thank you very much for this presentation. It's really exciting to see the um, wide variety of um, courses that we're offering our current high school students and the future offerings that we'll be having as well. It's really exciting to see how just tailored they are to you know, the modern and future workforce as well as really, um, truly the holistic experience. You know, when I was at Franklin High, I had the, um, I had the ability to take a few AP courses myself, and it's really um, great to see that the AP um, course selection is expanding and growing to um, provide you know, the modern student even more um, skill sets you know, and prepare them for um, post-graduation. So that's uh, it's fantastic to see, thank you. Um, just a, a quick question, you mentioned the um, increased number of credits for graduation. Do we anticipate this to have a potential negative impact on either student schedules or graduation rates in any way? No, we were very thoughtful regarding this increase, and we on average have students graduating with far larger number of credits than the 106.5, so there, there will not be an uh, increase in students not graduating. If anything, we might have a, a few less study halls along the way, which I don't know if that's necessarily the worst thing. Um, and uh, in terms of staffing, that, that's not a concern either. We're really trying to you know, align our expectations with those around us. And we believe in our students, and we believe that the experience at our school should be one that is both supportive but also challenging. And so if we're not kind of pushing a little bit, I don't know to what extent we're doing a great job as a school. Uh, but I, we, we are not foreseeing any issues with uh, scheduling or uh, ability to earn credits as we've kind of done the math through our guidance department as well, making sure as they're the kind of like carriers of that responsibility, making sure everyone's on, on pace. Um, and then over the last few years, we've taken on some responsibility. We've eliminated, you know, one of the pathways to earn uh, phys ed credit. Uh, it's no longer available to be earned off campus. We kind of want to see for ourselves that we're doing the good work of staying healthy and staying active. Um, and we believe in the idea of being exposed to a world language, so we don't want to allow for students to experience our school and graduate without that. And, uh, you know, if, if along the way there might be some decisions that need to be made one way or the other, we feel as though that's okay because we're, we're standing by an experience that we want to be able to stamp that diploma and hand it over in that first weekend in June and, and be really um, satisfied and confident that what it is that they've gone through to earn that is in line with what it is we feel like a graduate should have. Excellent, thank you. That's, uh, that's great to hear. It really does seem like not only the um, new courses themselves that are being offered, but also the process of expanding um, has been done in a very thoughtful manner. So it's, uh, it's comforting here. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. 
Yeah, I agree um, with Dave. The process, I think, like you explaining the process and the why behind this, like you could have presented this in a different way um, that would get the message across as far as what you're going to add, how you're going to change this. And, and I feel like you really sort of opened up my eyes as far as the process behind it. So you're talking about all the team members that sort of worked with you on this. You're talking about the passionate educators. You're talking about listening to student voice. You're talking about, um, I wrote down some of it, some of a lot. Um, you're talking about our changing world, our changing society. You're talking about the changing markets out there. Like you're really I, looking at the long game, right? Like we're preparing these graduates, not just for graduation. We're preparing them for the world to be active members of our society. And I think like, that all that thoughtfulness and all that work and collaboration and conversation and um, with your team is just you know amazing and really it these these courses that came out like I would take every single one of these I'm so excited about all of them and I don't know how we could do street drumming for a school committee activity but um, I'll be I'll be thinking about that one. Um, so I do, I think the questions I had sort of surrounded the AP. So I think, you know, adding to AP <coughs> sounds awesome. The, the rationale of sort of making AP um, accessible for somebody that might not be able to fit it in their schedule just because of, you know, having a, a, a concrete amount of time, only four years there, you don't want to double up on that because then you have to take something else away. So I think I was having an interesting conversation with a guidance counselor, a friend of mine in another district talking about APs. And, um, how many APs do we currently have in Franklin High School? Oh, I don't know. Ballpark. Ballpark. Uh, Ballpark. I'm gonna say. I should, I should I'm gonna say me. like. It's not me. Fifteen to, to twenty in that in that realm. I bet that's a guess. I bet that's pretty close. Fifteen to twenty. Yeah. Okay. So just the ballpark. That's Issue. a legit question to ask. It's fair. You can ask any question. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah I feel like representative body. Yeah. Go go for it. Um, <laughs> so I think it's like I think that it's. I think I'm, I feel good to hear that. So it sounds like there's a lot of different AP options, a lot of different you know, people, different tracks, different sort of um, interests um, can take, can have access to AP. It sounds like you're expanding that um, with the pre-calc and the physics. Um, and I, I think that it sounds like there's a very small percentage of students that um, are really looking for like the, down, the highly selective colleges. So when highly selective colleges are looking at AP coursework, they're looking at the percentage of AP that a student took. So if a school has one AP course and a student took one AP course, they took 100% of AP courses at that school. But if a school has 15 AP courses and they took one, it's a much smaller percentage. And so I don't know if that's like, is that, is this totally, Left field. No, I mean I think you know when we're when we're you know framing transcripts for you know competitive universities and colleges. I mean, it, there's a lot of factors that go in, right? Mm -hmm. One is to what extent did you take the most kind of challenging course yeah. offerings that your school has to offer? There's also reputations that institutions have that are taken into consideration, right? Like um, as they get lots of applicants from lots of different places and certain places over time, and so they have like kind of an understanding of you know, what, what this experience will look like when it arrives on campus. Uh, and I say that respectfully, but it's a big deal, right? You're talking about thousands and thousands of applications to all hundreds and hundreds of universities. Um, you know, I, I don't think that that puts our students at a disadvantage by any means. I mean, we're coming out of arguably one of the premier public learning areas in the entire country, if not world, in Eastern Massachusetts. 
So, you know, as, when our students from Eastern Massachusetts are applying to places around the world, we are always highly competitive based on the fact that we have literally like the highest achievement uh, as, as a state. If we were to compare ourselves to the rest of the world, we'd be in first place. And in Eastern Mass, we're, you know, the top of the state of Massachusetts. So I, I think, you know, as colleges are trying to figure out how do we select a class that's diverse with different backgrounds and experiences and interests and, and places, they're going to use a lot of different factors. In, in my professional opinion, and I've never worked at a school that said it, it, it behooves us to have less uh, AP classes because then the students that take them will, will, have, will be able to say it's 100% of the course offerings. And every college has their own process of receiving transcripts, GPAs, and they recalculate, reformulate it on their own. And so um, that's my summary on why I think your question was, is it potentially harmful? to our most um, kind of uh, successful applicants uh, if we offer too many AP courses. Uh, right, the general just, too many. Yeah, I, I don't believe that to be true. Okay. You, because you get to show your interest too. Like yeah. the College Board I think has done a nice job in terms of offering ways to earn some college credit or show uh, a college level of understanding to a much wider variety of students. Um, what, and it works for us because we're getting our teachers certified as AP instructors. It works within our schedules, and then students are able to take that assessment at the end and show their understanding. So it's, it's kind of a, a model that I, you know, it's not the end all, and there are plenty of students who don't take an AP course and do quite well. In fact, because you brought it up, I'll just take a second to reiterate the idea that this race that people seem to think they're on is to nowhere. We are a high school that offers a whole bunch of opportunities to grow individually with what your interest is and show your, you know, your passion about a particular subject. That does not necessarily guarantee success financially or, or happiness-wise in life. It's just a point in time. And that's why I said, like, enjoy wherever you are. We're always constantly like looking ahead, and I don't know why, because if we just kind of focus on where we are and do our best with what it is we're interested in, we're probably going to be the best version of ourselves. Uh, and I, I, would, I know the seniors, I saw Shaw and Robin, great kids, outstanding leaders in our school, and I know their classmates. This is a tough time of year. Where am I getting into? What does that mean? How am I being identified now? We put way too much stock into that. You know, and college and universities promote us to kind of like get it caught up with that whole uh, rat race because it serves them well because now we're, we're spending inordinate amounts of money for education that's available in a much wider arena than it had ever been in the history of the world. Um, and and I'm not, to, not to probably going off a bit, I don't need to, but I do feel very strongly about that message and I think it's one that we as adults can continue to remind. Uh, you know, I have a daughter that's a freshman in high school, I'm constantly reminding her, look, do what you're interested in, be a really hard worker, be an honest person, things are gonna be okay. And um, that's, that's a message that I feel like can't be shared enough and I, and I worry about people chasing uh, this transcript that's gonna all of a sudden make everything better. We're chasing stuff when we're not where we are, and we need to be where we are. Just I, to, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Through, through you, right? Okay. I would just reiterate that students should be pursuing passions, and if that means leading into a, a deeper understanding and a deeper coursework in a particular area or two areas, I think that makes sense. I think taking APs for the sake of APs for the, for the idea that I think you mentioned is, is certainly something that we wouldn't recommend. We just talked a little bit about mental health. Um, we've seen a lot of um, high-performing kids who are trying to balance um, the expectations and um, creating pathways that help you move towards passion, whether you plan to study or plan to go into a field out of college or 
whatever your military, whatever you're uh, looking to do, it's a matter of how do we, through your four years, and hopefully through your career at, in Franklin, um, help support you to, to reach the goals that you've set. And we should probably help, we should be helping you to set those goals and try to make sure they're reasonable and attainable, and it's a solid plan for um, how you leave us when you graduate. But to objectively, yes, thank you, Superintendent Chigiri, to, to objectively answer your question, within the math department, we have an AP statistics course, we have an AP calculus, AB, AP calculus, BC, and AP pre-calculus, and, and I, there may be more, but that's minimal, and so that's a lot of where's your interest, and wh where's your ability at that time, so I don't, it doesn't hurt, I think it just broadens the opportunity for people to take courses and be tested at, at, a, at a university collegiate level. I really appreciate it, and and you can tell this is not my wheelhouse, which is why I asked the question. And I think um, the way you framed it really helped, and the reminder of, that you're giving as far as like grades aren't grades. Are, we're not chasing this like you said a perfect transcript, um, and I think that's a really important thing. And and earlier you were talking too about um, just sort of like a balance with the pacing of the courses. You want to you still want to have high expectations academically, you also want to be realistic um, and not push the staff and push the students to, to cram too much content into the amount of time, just, just, just to cram the content into the amount of time. You want them to actually have real learning, and that's something that's even more important than just checking boxes, right? And so I really appreciate that, and you and your team being so responsive to that as far as um, realizing that some of these courses are more than just, you know, um, one semester, trimester. Uh, the semester or semester. Year, full year courses. Yeah, right. Yeah. That they need more time and giving them the time that they need and that they deserve for like the, the full experience um, rather than just sort of like getting through it just to get through it, right? Um, okay, my other question was how many possible credits are students able to earn over the four years? Is that, like, like you said, plenty of people graduate with more than that, so you feel like the... Uh, yeah, I mean, well, if you took... Um, I'm not, I need my calculator. If there's seven periods you could take, you could have a full schedule, so seven, um, 14, you know, 21, 28 times five. Um, anyone have 28 times five? Sorry, this is humbling. 140. What? 140, so potentially you could earn up to 140 credits oh, wow. uh, okay. if you took every class every semester, gotcha. uh, which is well over the 111 by like almost a full year. Right. So that's unlikely we would see many students. We would not recommend that. Uh, that's an aggressive, um, probably exhausting experience. But I guess the point is you can have some studies along the way, and it's not going to be an issue in terms of your, your graduate. Gotcha. I just wanted to see like how, how close was it, like how much of a margin of error is there? So there's, 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 there's quite a bit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So going up to 111.5 sounds very reasonable. Yeah. Um, okay. So. I think that's it. I just want to. I just want to thank you and um, again commend your team. And really, I feel like um, this is it's just more evidence to show that you are walking the walk as far as supporting. Thank you, Megan. Uh, I just want to echo the uh, comments, you know, from from my colleagues. Uh, thank you very much for the for the presentation. You're welcome. Sure. Physics. I'm going to have problems trying to find a teacher to teach that course. Uh, 
you know, I try to under uh, promise and over uh, serve. So, you know, I mean, right now we we're in a state of, uh, someone said earlier, like the, the state of public education, education in general, our field, we have low number of applicants for our positions. And that doesn't mean that I'm not optimistic that we aren't gonna be able to find a physics teacher, I am. Uh, in fact, we have a few things that are happening now that lead me to think that that's well within um, a reasonable place to be, especially as we're going to hire during kind of a typical hiring season. So I don't, I don't need to cast like doom and gloom, but I also don't want to uh, sugarcoat what is a difficult time. And we've seen an inordinate number of people have left the field of education in the last few years. I think the number most recently was something along the lines of 570,000 in the last two and a half years across the country. We see less and less people that want to be substitute teachers. We see less and less applicants when we do have postings for maternity leave or other such leaves. I mean, there was a time when, you know, uh, you would uh, open an English teacher position and you'd have 150 applicants within 24 hours. And that's just not the case anymore. Uh, now we're lucky if we get under, you know, over 25. And so that's just the reality. We were seeing low numbers of students at uh, local state uh, universities studying to become uh, teachers. And we're, 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 we have three student teachers at our school right now. So we're seeing a little bit of a positive shift that is optimistic and there's, there's like youthfulness and excitement and passion in the work. And so I think as we get further away from what we've experienced the last few years, there'll be more and more, because it is a great profession. It's important work. It's, it, there's, there's lots to be excited about. However, we, we took a fall, right? We took a hit and now we're kind of rebuilding from there. So am I optimistic that our full staff will be ready to roll uh, for, the, for the following school year? Yes, 100%. That's how you have to believe that. But in, in um, the reality of the times, it, it's hard to, uh, you know, uh, find uh, spots for, for or it's, fine to, it's hard to find people for all these spots because there just aren't as many people interested in doing the work. And that's just the hard truth. Thank you, I appreciate your honesty. Um, Thank you so very much for coming out this evening. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you for listening and a shout out to our team. I know there's so many people that participate in creating this. Um, I wouldn't want to take it as it's anything. I just happen to be a representative of a large number of people who really care about doing the right stuff. So thank you. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I'd like to welcome Dr. Donna Flaherty here uh, from the uh, Accept Collaborative. She's also the Executive Director. She's here tonight to um, talk a little bit about Accept and our partnership, but there's also um, an action item on the table for you to approve, uh, approve the Westboro Public Schools, uh, the Public School District in joining Accept. I mentioned this last meeting that it would go before you as a vote as a school committee along with all of the other school committees that are affiliated with Accept Collaborative. Um, before we uh, get to that, I thought I would invite Dr. Fire to talk a little bit about um, Accept and our partnership and then we can roll into the... Um, you're welcome to sit at the table if you'd like, Donna, if that's easier. Okay, great. You also have at, in your packet, you have an Accept Collaborative uh, materials just about 
the, the materials. We also have information regarding the vote that you'll take we can talk a little bit about further before you take the vote. And also I included the um, second quarter report. So basically just to provide you with some information regarding ACCEPT um, so that you're aware as you are the school committee and you're affiliated with this, this program as well. Okay. Great. Well, good evening. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm excited to be here and talk about the important work that we do. And it's good that you let Elise leave because she's heard my speeches. <laughs> so I'll talk a little bit about um, education collaboratives here in Massachusetts. There's 24 of us that exist. We are a public entity and we serve as basically an extension of the public school districts that are members of our collaborative which Franklin is um, a, an active member of our collaborative. We do have 15 districts currently that are members of the collaborative, and right now we're looking at two um, other districts that are interested with Westboro being the first one. So what do we do as a collaborative? Every collaborative is a little bit different with the types of services that they provide. So for except what we do primarily, our purpose is to provide students with disabilities a place to go when they're not able to um, be served or have their needs met, their educational needs within their district. So our first step is to really work with those students, work with the districts in hopes that the services that we can provide, they're able to go home to their district again because we all know we want our students to be in our own districts and graduate from our high schools. And by the way, that was a very passionate speech. It was shifting my lens with regards to my own priorities. Oh, wow. So yeah, that was wonderful. Um, some of the other services that we do include transportation for a smaller number of our districts. We also do home-based services for students that are on the spectrum. We have BCBAs, Board Certified Behavior Analysts, that go into the home with therapists to provide those services. We do Medicaid, which I believe Franklin is part of. Um, we also have um, school consultation, assessment and services, which at least is part of that for us. Um, we have professional development, internal and external. Um, so I brought with me a um, folder to provide you with just a little bit of information to share some of the highlights of what we do. So I provided um, one of our recent annual reports for you to kind of take a look at. It gives you a flavor of who our kids and our staff are, um, that we're a, you know, basically we have a multi-million dollar budget, um, that we work on a expense and revenue, so we're a nonprofit as well. Um, so you can see all the different services we do there. I included some of the professional development that we do. Um, one is we've started a new asynchronous uh, professional development on the new IEP that Desi is putting out. Uh, so we're offering that out to not just our member districts, but districts across the state. We're also doing some advanced co-teaching, how to elevate the code dance through more effective co-planning, co-instruction, and co-assessing. So that's something we're, we're looking at focusing on general education teachers as well as special education teachers to work together and offering that as an in-person opportunity for teams. Um, that's just a couple of examples of uh, the many PD offerings that we have. And additionally, we like to make connections. We know that your families that come to us also want to be connected not only in your town, but they want to be connected to the organization where their children are attending every day. 
So we're starting making a variety of different connections for those students and families. So for example, our home-based students, which are generally students um, on the autism spectrum, have a lot of social issues, um, a lot of difficulty with sensory input and being out in the community. So we're doing activities and forming social groups for those families to come with their students that we service, as well as with their siblings, and if they want to bring grandparents or an aunt or uncle or something so that they can meet other families that have some of the same challenges ahead of them, as well as um, learning how to bring their children out into the community and giving them those good opportunities. So that's just a smattering of the work that we do. Um, that work is also important with our job alikes. So we have job alikes for our special education directors. So for example, we met last Friday and Paula, Paula was there and uh, we had a nice um, program evaluation PD and then we were able to share our problems of practice as a group, um, curriculum instruction and a variety of other areas. So we look to our job alike groups, which are your professionals here, to tell us what do you need in the moment now and then we adjust our practice, we adjust our services in an effort to meet the needs of our districts, specifically our member districts. So I, I think we're a pretty popular collaborative because we do a lot of great stuff. Um, so right now we have um, West Fargo, so Superintendent Amber Bach came to our last meeting last month to kind of talk about the reason why she thought it would be a um, good opportunity for both her district as well as the collaborative and our board of directors for Westboro and herself to become a member of our collaborative. So there is a process for that. I've given you also in the um, packet that I gave you is our um, collaborative agreement. Each collaborative has their own set of agreements and how they operate and that's ours. So I've um, put a little sticker in there that tells you the process for bringing in a new member. So the first thing is, is they have to write a letter by December 30th, which they did. They come to the board, they have a conversation with the board of directors who then decide if they want to continue to pursue this membership, which they decided to. And the next step is um, to bring it back to the school committee because ultimately you make the decisions relative to who's going to join and the impact that potentially might have. Um, and, and from there, once every, every single member district has to agree, their school committee has to vote formally and agree, and then we can move to the next step, which is to then bring that forward to uh, Commissioner Riley at the Department of Education. So we're at that point now, we're um, visiting school committees and having that conversation, sharing what collaboratives are, what our particular collaborative is, and why um, the board has decided that uh, they think this would be a good addition to our um, districts and the collaborative. So. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Uh, I'll go down the line. Camille? Okay. Thank you. Um, so, uh, if you might, how, uh, you know, we, we go and we say, you know, we vote to have uh, this new uh, community kind of join the collaborative. How does that impact Franklin? So, that's a great question, and that's a question that we engaged in last month as to what would the benefits be? Like, we recognize the benefits for want the district wanting to come in. Um, so, there would not be a negative impact to Franklin. 
So we prioritize our member districts for the slots that we have in um, our program seats for our students, for professional development, for any of our school consultation or home base. So we, our priority is our member districts. And right now we're easily able to um, give all the services that our member districts need right now. Another benefit we would have is we really work as collegial group in terms of thinking about the types of things that we need, what a students need, what a teachers need, and work collaboratively together for that. So, you know, we think that Westboro would be a great fit for us um, and really be able to contribute to some of our ideas and moving forward with services. Thank you very much. Uh, no questions, thank you. Uh, no questions, but thank you for the explanation of what the collaborative offers. It sounds like you offer a lot of great services that are of uh, tremendous benefit to a lot of students, so thank you. Thank you. Megan? Oh, sorry, I was muted. Um, uh, no questions for me. Thank, thank you very much. Okay. All right. So, good. So, I recommend approval of the Westboro Public School District to join accept collaborative as discussed. All right, is there a motion? So moved. Is there a second? Second. All right. Any additional discussion questions? All right, so seeing none, vote will come on the motion. We'll do a roll call vote. Camille? Yes. Dave Callahan? Yes. Al Charles? Yes. Dave McNeil? Yes. Elise Stokes has abstained. She's out of the room. Uh, Megan Whitmore? Yes. All right, Jane Spencer, yes. some policies before you for second reading. I know you referenced um, some of these at the beginning of the meeting. Just to reiterate uh, for the committee, JLCD was administering medicines to students. The second was JLCD1, anaphylaxis procedures, uh, emergency closings with EECD, and GBI, which is political activities to staff. Is there a motion to adopt policies JLCD, JLCD1, EBCD and GBI as discussed. So moved. Is there a second? Second. All right, discussion, questions? Yeah, I just had um, one under the political activities of staff. Just a, um, I guess, a friendly amendment. Uh, the one line that we added that we just grabbed from that general law about the public employees are prohibited. If we can actually just maybe put that right at the bottom as its own separate uh, line. Yes. Something that uh, came up. So, what is it? So it's uh, so the line that we, we added uh, was from Mass General Law: the public employees prohibited under state law. Uh, just to take it out of that paragraph, yeah, mm -hmm. uh, and just put it directly at the bottom, just as its own separate it's, paragraph. It's just a, okay. As a yeah, as yep. a blanket. So it would just kind of you know go from you know normal. It would basically just be leave the paragraph almost relatively unchanged. Uh, so the normal paragraph would end into campaigning for any staff member, 
period. Mm -hmm. And then next paragraph, the public employees uh, are prohibited under state law. Okay. Yes. Um, this is a, a, a very tiny thing. So some of the formatting is just like, there's like some font differences with sizes and types of font. So is there a way that that, I'm, I'm just talking about Oh, is it done after we vote? I believe, please correct me if I'm wrong, but once this kind of, be, yeah, once we approve this, but before it goes gotcha. online, it, it gets cleaned up. So you're approving, if you were to approve with the suggestion, okay. Mr. Callahan made, we could we could make that change. And then font is something that is, is not substantive. Um, right. We're able to update, especially as it's online. Sometimes when you put it into the online uh, website, it does change the formatting, so we certainly um, make efforts to go through that for consistency. I understand the point. Yep. Gotcha. As far as, you know, I remember looking through the book and like it, it, it makes it look much more Former polished. Former policy but it's all, uh, yeah. member. It's right. We want to look polished because the content is so rich. Right. Make sure. Ready to. Okay. Right, so let's just that last policy meeting at one. Okay. So we have a motion to amend. Is there a second? Wait, is it an amendment? To move to, to change it? Just formatting. Yeah, just move it. Okay. I, I understand what needs to be done, but if you want to include it in the approvals with that change, I'm happy to do that. Motion to scooch. So just press return twice. Okay. All right. Good luck. Okay. Roll call vote. Email? Yes. Dave Callahan? Yes. Al Charles? Yes. Dave Neal? Yes. Ellie Stokes? Yeah. Maggie Whitmore? Yes. Katie Spencer? Yes. All right. Moving right along. Discussion only items. Mr. Here. Okay, so we have committee So we have school committee calendar for your review. Um, you'll notice um, in the calendar, what we've done is um, we've taken calendars from the past um, and uh, we added, we have the July meeting. Um, July 11th, and we've moved that one up um, after the 4th of July weekend to come back. Um, any lingering business, we thought, um, rather than wait until the end of the month, because when, once August hits, as you know, we start to do handbook approvals, we start to provide um, updates with regard to the, the new school year and preparing, and then we roll into the September, October, November cycle of presentations and information and business that we share. Um, November. 14th is an organizational meeting, um, as is customary. And uh, we have typically had one meeting in December, given the holiday break. Leads us into January. You'll notice in February. Uh, February 13th is the week before the week vacation. Um, and then that allows for us to meet in March, but it's uh, still the same amount of time between meetings. So if you think about a February vacation. Um, only four business days would have occurred between meetings, so um, with March 15th, then the 19th, uh, two in April, two in May, and two in June to finish off the school year. I'll open it up to questions, discussion, and... So I'm, I'm good with the schedule. I think just from a clarification standpoint, some things that we could add to this, so at least it's less confusion. 
Um, like this year, with our organizational meeting, um, there's some confusion about is, is it a regular meeting? Is it just organizational only? Because I think town council does something a little bit different. So maybe if we emphasize that it's organization plus like our normal normal meeting, so that there's no confusion as to what's going on. Um, okay. So I think that would be helpful to hear. And then also the 14th would be the first meeting following the election in 2023, right? This is the election. Yeah. So maybe just calling it out as well that it's uh, there so it could be a change in the school committee at that point as well. I don't know. Or, or signify that it's the first half of the election. I don't know. Something, something in there. Right. So maybe as part of the organizational yeah. meeting, we can. I mean, that's up. I would say typically when it says organizational, it means that you're going to have the potential. But for it, sorry, but it, yeah, yeah. But I mean, we've had an organizational meeting this year, and there wasn't a, a election for the school committee. So that's what I'm talking about. Not just the changes and potentials. Signify that it's following the, the, the actual election. I, uh, sorry, my no, it, um, yeah, like perhaps like organizational meeting for a new term. Yeah, maybe some kind of follow along. Yeah, the, exactly. Because I mean, it, like this past year was an organizational meeting, but it was a continuation of our two-year term. Whereas next year, it's a brand new. It's start a brand new new term. We can do yeah, parentheses so new term something. Yeah, exactly. Next year, yeah. not have that. that okay. Yeah, okay. The semantics, but but that's it. Uh, just one quick question. I noticed in April of 2024, the second meeting isn't on the, the fourth Tuesday as is typical. Is that because of how April vacation happens to fall? Or? We did that because of April vacation, trying to um, create um, equal space between meetings, work time and space. All right, thank you. Yep. No question. Megan? Uh, no, no comments for me. Thank you. Thank you. Um, thank you, Mr. Jagir. Moving along to accept collaborative quarterly report. So the quarterly report was shared with you. Um, I think that um, Dr. Flair hit on some of the key points. Um, it's just basically an update. She provided a final report, I think, from last year's an annual report as well. Um, it's just more information for you uh, regarding the accept collaborative. So it was just a matter of sharing that to make sure you have uh, access to that. We could have probably included it in her packet, but. I separated it. Um, any questions, comments, Camille? Okay. Oh. All right. Thank you very much. Sure. Um, all right. On to information matters. Superintendent evaluation lease. No new update. All right. Budget, Dave McNeil. Uh, budget, nothing else to Okay. Policy, Dave Italian. We'll be meeting tomorrow night. Um, community relations, nothing, space needs and facilities assessment, Al Charles? Yep, uh, so as Mr. DeGear mentioned, we've been doing a lot of homework regarding the redistricting. Um, our last meeting was regarding the scenarios, and we've discussed various scenarios. Um, a couple of for folks that were not there. Um, we talked through uh, five different scenarios. Uh, one regarding potential closing which we had said that um, based off the current situation right now, if we do close a school, it would result in all of our schools being over 100% capacity. Um, so that that solution at this very moment is not viable, um, given the, the current structure of the schools that we would have left. Um, but then we talked through uh, 
various configurations of using five different schools uh, and just moving the district around. Um, we share that with the, the advisory committee. They, they provided their feedback on that. Um, and we're doing just continuing work on, on uh, looking at those various scenarios and seeing what, what is viable and what makes sense to bring to this committee for ultimately a, a vote on moving forward or not. Um, as part of that as well, we have started receiving feedback uh, now that we do have scenarios for folks to react to. Um, we've received emails via the website, and as Mr. Gear had stated earlier, um, we've been working to provide responses to them. Um, as right now, I believe there's been about 14 emails that we sent, and we've responded to all but the one that has come today. So uh, staying on top of that and really taking the folks' feedback and um, providing them um, take consideration and seeing how do we address that their feedback in the work that we're doing today. Uh, joint PCC? Yep, uh, we met on Monday. Um, yeah, Monday, it was, like, it was like forever ago, right? Um, so Monday, um, yesterday, Ms. Harris was there as a guest speaker. She shared some thoughts on um, what's being done at the various levels regarding PE&I. Um, one of the great things that we've heard was around um, the peer-to-peer um, -peer presentations that they're working on and presenting in April, um, covering various topics such as bullying, anti-bias behaviors, identity belonging. Um, so looking forward to see what comes from that. Um, once again, great, great. Whenever students can speak to their peers, I think it goes further um, as it's, it's a peer and not necessarily being lectured to from an adult or um, you know, somebody that they trust and maybe may respect. So um, great opportunity there. We did, gave a quick re update about redistricting there as well. The ask to have the PCCs really to share the updates around what's happening, the website, um, the ability to send feedback and ask questions, um, and that we would be having some public forums later on. Uh, and then at that point, we heard some updates from the school committees or uh, PCCs regarding the various things that they're doing, such as um, book fairs, um, dining out nights at PJs. Um, one of our schools actually won a grant uh, to bring an author in, uh, which is a great, great news story right there. Um, and then um, just various in-person events that other schools are doing. So, um, good stuff all over, all around. Um, the one bad news I think we've heard about was the the, the um, retirement of the Amazon Smile program for fundraising. So, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. So um, while it's up, folks, if you um, want to support, go to Amazon Smiles, pick your school, let's get some funds in there, buy some things. Yeah. <laughs> There's never enough stuff that you can get can get from Amazon, right? Um, so I think that's that's going to last for a um, But Amazon is at least doing something where they will give um, a portion of last year's proceeds to the schools and, and programs to um, give them one fund uh, before it does officially close. I don't recall what the date was, um, but it is coming up soon. Uh, and I think that's it. Can I ask a question? Was there a CPAC representative there? Yes, there was hey. a, thank you. I did uh, miss that, yeah. So from a, from a CPAC perspective, uh, they shared a draft of their included checklist um, and really did how to make sure that we um, include others. And um, they spoke about the Birchwood event that they had for the parent meet and greet. Um, and they'll be able to do another thing as well uh, in the coming year. Awesome. Okay. Um, so 
Wellness Advisory Council. Um, our next meeting is February 7th. CPAC. Yes, so I was just asking about that because I know CPAC wanted to um, become involved with the JPCC just as far as like being there sort of as like another voice at the table to sort of represent um, students with disabilities and their families because sometimes events um, can be uh, different when you're looking at it through different eyes so to just sort of be a voice at the table I feel like um, that could be really valuable and they worked they worked really hard on that inclusion checklist so um, I hope that that can be helpful or at least like thought-provoking for um, some folks at the PCC. Um, so the CPAC hosted a basic rights workshop last week and the parent support meetup at Birchwood as Alex said. Um, we've been holding a monthly meeting with the district and CPAC representatives focused on increasing open communication and sharing relevant informa information such as related to budget and redistricting. These meetings have been going well. We will be shifting these meetings to every other month to give folks enough time to complete action items between meetings, but I realize that I hadn't told you guys that we were doing that. Um, and so they were going really well, but it, the, the four weeks flies by, especially if there's a vacation in there or long weekends, and so we wanted to just sort of spread it out enough that um, people are able to get their stuff done before they come report back. So I think that's gonna be a bit, sort of like a good pace, a good cadence for those meetings. Okay, Kathy. Substance Abuse Task Force, right? Mental Health and Well-Being Task Force. That's what it was. We'll learn. We'll get it. Um, so our next meeting is February 14th, and we are actively planning for a next critical conversations on March 9th at Horseman Auditorium at 7 p.m. Um, the advisory lessons and surveys will be going out to um, the first couple weeks of February with the middle school and high school students, so we can get their feedback and get their voices. Because the theme is what your student wants you to know. You'll find out when you come on my list. <laughs> 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 wait until then. Can't wait. Um, DEI committee. Our meeting is tomorrow night. Tomorrow night. Perfect. All right. Uh, consent agenda. Mr. I recommend approval of the minutes from the January 10th, 2023 school committee meeting as detailed. I recommend approval of the budget transfers as detailed. I recommend approval of the request of Ms. Cullinan and Ms. Riley to take the FHS students to Greece from April 11th to April 20th, 2024, as presented at the January 10th, 2023 school committee meeting. I recommend approval of the request of the JFK grade two team to take the JFK second graders to Roger Williams Park Zoo, Providence, Rhode Island, on June 2nd, 2023, as detailed. I recommend acceptance of a check for $1,503.36 from LifeTouch slash Shutterfly LLC for in-house enrichment at RMS as detailed. I recommend acceptance of two checks totaling $5,964 for the music parents for in-house enrichment as detailed. I recommend approval of the request of Franklin High School to create a new math honor society club as detailed. Okay. Is there a motion to approve the consent agenda as detailed? So moved. Is there a second? Sorry. Discussion, questions, community, Megan. I had one question. Sure. Um, for the new math club. So we're recommending to create a new club. Uh, National Honor Society. So I'm just, I guess I'm just confused because I saw stuff for it at the high school, so They've already started before it's been approved. 
Yeah, so, so they've been um, active as a club, but they haven't um, done uh, financials. They haven't been fundraising, they haven't raised money, they haven't spent money, and your approval allows them to do that. Okay. okay. I was at the high school open weekend, my son was in a track, and I was like, it's it's great education opportunity too. So when we have clubs that can run, if they run without any type of um, intake of money or output of money, they can run without any type of approval from the principal. Um, but certainly, once they become bona fide or we're looking to create, we want to make sure that we have oversight and that there's checks and balances. So that's the whole the whole uh, reason. Thank you. All right, so vote will come on the motion. Uh, roll call vote. Camille? Yes. Dave Kelly? Yes. Al Charles? Yes. Steve McNeil? Yes. Yes. Megan Whitmore? Yes. Denise Spencer? Yes. All right, so motion carries. Moving right along. Citizens' comments. Do we have anyone in person? Steve, want to raise his hand? Nope. All right. Uh, on Zoom, all right, I see a hand, so I just have to read my blur. In the spirit of open communication, the committee will hold a public participation segment, also called citizens comments, about matters not related to an agenda item within the school committee's purview, such as budget, performance of the superintendent policies, etc. Comments are limited to three minutes and must be addressed to the committee. Citizens' comment segments are not debates or Q&A sessions. It is intended to offer citizens an opportunity to express their opinions on issues of school committee business within the school committee purview. The committee will listen to but not respond to any comment made. Are there any citizens in the audience, in person or online, who would like to make a comment on an item not on tonight's agenda and falls within the committee's purview? I see one hand raised. Um, if you could state your name, address, and please keep within the three minutes. Hi, can you hear me okay? Yes. Okay, so this is Gretchen Donahue, 7 Padden Road. I'm here today to present concerns about redistricting that are unique to families living in the formerly DT neighborhoods. To give some needed background, the interest among some town stakeholders to close Davis there started to come to a point of action just as the COVID pandemic hit. A number of us consistently dialed, dialed into full school committee meetings, as well as those for the space and facilities subcommittee. We spoke during meetings, we sent emails, and we engaged in the information sharing. We raised questions around space and crowding at Keller, about the transitions and adjustments students were already experiencing due to COVID, and about our fears regarding moving students when an imminent town redistricting was already on the horizon. Former Superintendent Dr. Ahern stated in her January 2021 letter to the subcommittee, quote, the question remains as to whether or not redistricting is something that should be considered as part of closing Davis Thayer Elementary School or planned for in the future. It would be prudent to avoid any situation where Davis Thayer students are attending school at Keller and then redistricted at a later point in time, end quote. Ultimately, the committee voted to, to close DT, and so in September of 2021, Davis Thayer children entered Keller while the pandemic raged on. They did their best to acclimate themselves to new staff and classmates while wearing masks and being cautioned not to go too close to others. They learned the new policies, expectations, values, and even the physical layout of their new surroundings without having a chance to return to the comfort of their home school to adapt back to a regular full-time school week. Our kids have weathered this change with all the grit, grace, and resilience one could imagine. Their former school building sits unoccupied. We have seen little on how the school closure has actually financially benefited the town. 
our kids' sacrifice for their community often feels all for naught. And now here we are at the redistricting effort. As new scenarios are discussed and new school zone lines are drawn, we wonder what will happen to our kids. We fear how another school switch will negatively impact their academic progress and mental wellness. We will send you a longer email to the whole committee that outlines some important research we found about the detrimental effects of frequent school switching. We'd also like to draw your attention to the potentialities of a phase-out approach or a grandfathering approach to former DT students. Our longer email contains more details on these potential solutions. We ask you to value the, DT's the DT kids' courage and prioritize their vulnerability and mental health. We hope you will honor the commitment of Dr. Ahern. Uprooting young children twice from their school is not only detrimental to community educational progress, but also for their emotional and social well-being. We also ask you to consider in detail the facilities projections that came up from the Castle Bulls report. For instance, that re report conveyed a need to close Parmenter and Kennedy schools at some point. How terrible would it be to move students to one of those schools only to close it a short time later? In closing, we implore town committees, including yours, to create a master plan that takes into account short and long-term needs of all students before making this decision. Thank you for your time and attention and for all the work you are doing. Thank you. Um, is there anyone else? expect uh, to see the school calendar for the year not we had the school committee tonight mm -hmm. but the actual school calendar um, we're preparing also um, the edge speak request to have some of those acronyms shared out um, will occur next meeting we'll also begin our school highlights um, with one of our elementary schools on the 14th and then those will continue for the rest of the year and also we're looking to provide an update on our advisory program and just share some information on uh, how that's going and provide more information so so finally, we will be adjourning to executive session and we will not be returning to open meeting. Pursuant to Mass General Law, Chapter 30A, Section 21A3, to discuss strategy with respect to collective bargaining with the band drivers, cafeteria, ESP, LPN, and secretaries units, as an open meeting may have a detrimental effect on the bargaining position of the school committee and the chairs of declares. Is there a motion to adjourn into executive discussion as discussed? So moved. Is there a second? Second. All right, we'll come on the motion. Camille? Yes. Dave Callahan? Yes. Al? Yes. Dave McKean? Yes. Elise? Yeah. Megan Whitmore? Yes. All right. Gene Spencer? Yes. All right. Thank you. Good night, everybody. We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tintype Tunes in 2008, and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. And by the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.